Hi, and welcome to the Radius Church Podcast. Thank you so much for joining us today. If you're interested in finding out more information about Radius Church, please check us out on our website, radiuschurch.tv. Well, if you grew up in church, uh, um, how, how many been in church long enough to remember flannel graph? Anybody, anybody been in church? How many of you that are younger have no idea what flannel graph is? Uh, God, in his mercy and grace, allowed you to never have to deal with flannel graph, all right? If you grew up in church, then you undoubtedly heard the story of Jonah and the whale. And it was always about Jonah and the whale. And this was the flannel graph that I remember. Can everybody say, aww? And, and it was always about the whale. And, and, and my teacher would stick Jonah on the flannel graph, little paper cut out, <laughs> And, and, and then a big whale would just take over the whole flannel graph, and all of us kids would go, ah! And that was the whole story, was Jonah and the whale. But here's what I've come to know. I've come to the conclusion that the very thing that this story or this book of the Bible is known for, if we're not careful, it's the very thing that distracts us from the rich life applications that exist in it and are extremely relevant for where we're living right now. Now, uh, a few couple years ago, Jake was up here, and he was preaching a series, uh, preaching a message, um, and it was something about uh, defending the faith. And in case you don't know this, one of the big hang-ups for non-believers is the story of Jonah and the whale because they're, they have proven that it's scientifically impossible and there's no way that it really happened. And, and so Jake got to a part of his message where, where um, he, he asked the question while he was preaching, do I believe in the story of Jonah being swallowed by the whale? And Jake made this statement, and it sounds kind of like an off-the-cuff, but it's, it's really pretty profound which is what I've come to expect from my son. And, 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 and he, when they said, is the story of Jonah and the whale, J- Jonah being swallowed by the whale, is it true? And Jake said, to some criticism, mind you, I don't know, but that's not the point. Now, there's some depth to that answer because uh, I don't know might sound like we don't believe in the Bible. But just for the record, we believe in the Bible here, everybody. We put it on the screen every single week at 16 feet by 9 feet just so that you know that we use it, all right? So we believe in the Word of God, but he was so right that that's not the point. And we can debate forever whether it's possible for a man to survive in the belly of a well, but that's not the point. The point of the book of Jonah has multiple layers to it, but if I had to boil it down to one thing, I would say it's what this song is about that we just sang. It's the relentless, powerful love of our Lord and Savior Jesus. Amen? And before that, if I have to go Old Testament, it's about the power and the grace and how much God loves us. It's a transitional book that begins to point us to another new covenant or a new testament because up to that point, they had only known of God's justice. But Jonah appears to show and point us toward this thing called amazing grace, everybody. 
The writer of Jonah, who most agree with, was Jonah. Next week, or in one of the weeks, I'm going to talk about the book of Jonah was written like a stage play. It's, it's like a satire. It's part one and part two, act one and act two. But the writer of Jonah doesn't even capitalize on the wow factor of the whale. Has anybody noticed this? We spend all this time talking about the whale, but, but if the wow factor is not on the whale, then I think we'd have to agree then the wow factor might be somewhere else. Come on, are you guys with me today? See, the fish, I call it the whale. Some scholars believe it was a whale. Some believe it was a great fish that doesn't exist anymore. I really don't care about all that. The fish is only mentioned in two brief, very undescriptive verses. Now, do I believe that Jonah could be swallowed by a whale and survive? It doesn't matter what I believe. Here's what I believe is that it was a miracle. And if he did survive in the belly of the well, it's because it was a miracle, everybody. That's the whole point. I remember not long ago, I read this. Uh, it was a certain university that I won't call out, but some scholars had did, done a study on the parting of the Red Sea. And they concluded that this was a season in history where there was a great drought and the Red Sea wasn't very deep. They concluded that the Red Sea was only two feet deep. So that explained away the miracle of the Israelites crossing the Red Sea. That anybody could cross in two feet. And I thought, well, I'll give them that. Then the miracle is how did all those Egyptians die and drown in two feet of water? How many know what I'm talking about, right, everybody? If you want to fight, we'll fight, you know? And <laughs> so let's not get distracted by the great fish. It reminds me of the little girl who was talking to her teacher about whales, and the teacher remarked that it was physically impossible for a whale to swallow a human being. And the little girl said, yeah, but uh, my Sunday school teacher told me that a whale swallowed a man by the name of Jonah. And the teacher got a little irritated, a little more than she probably should have. And the teacher reacted and said, well, there is no way that uh, th that, that whale could swallow a human. It was physically impossible. And the little girl said, well, when I get to heaven, I'm going to ask Jonah. And the teacher said, well, what if Jonah didn't go to heaven? What if Jonah went to hell? And the little girl said, then you can ask Jonah. <laughs> that sounds like the girl I raised, I'm telling you. Hey? <laughs> That's a little rough, isn't it, huh? That, that kind of goes against what the whole book of Jonah is about. The book of Jonah is really about accepting one another. Now, I, I usually don't talk about what I watch because it might be your flavor or not, but I recently watched on the History Channel uh, a series on the Vikings. And uh, I, I was amazed how much that the battle between the pagan Vikings and the prudent Christians, I was amazed at their fights and their battles. Both were praying to their God, but both were also doing violence in the name of the, I'm not talking even about, I'm not talking about the battles. I'm not talking about defending. I'm talking about the, that they would literally do hate crimes to prove their point. Both the prudent Christians and the pagan Vikings. It kind of sounds a little bit, minus the swords and minus the weird haircuts and beards, it, it sounds a little bit like the country that we've been living in. 
that we've just decided let's fight fire with fire. Let's fight hate with more hate. Let's fight opinion with more opinion. And it goes against everything that Jesus taught us before he left this earth. I want you to imagine that Jesus is sitting here and said, hey guys, this is the last thing I'm going to tell you before I go to the Father. Now how many of you know last words are very important? And so Jesus, instead of saying, now remember what I did here, no, he says, look, I want to boil it all down. These last three and a half years, I want to boil it all down to one thing, and here's the new command, and if you can do this thing, then you'll be my disciples, and this thing called Christianity is going to blow up the world. He said, above all, he said, I got one command, to love one another. And then he doesn't leverage his power, he leverages his reputation. He leverages his action. He says, I want you to love one another like I've shown you that I've loved you. You, you, you remember the woman that was going to be stoned because she sinned? Yeah, and remember how I showed grace and mercy and love to her? Yeah, that's how I want you to love one another. You remember when I picked Matthew? You know Matthew, that tax collector dude? Yeah, remember how I picked him to be in my inner circle? Yeah, that's how I want you to love one another. Remember how I went to lunch with Zacchaeus and how I allowed Mary Magdalene to be part of the team and how I allowed the prostitute to wash my feet? Yeah, that's how I want you to love one another. Don't just love the people that look like, act like, sound like, believe like you do, but go outside of those circles and keep your circle wide. Amen, everybody? Come on now. And so we should constantly be asking. Now, I know you know this. And this, I hope this message is just a reminder to us. But we should constantly be asking, what does love require of me? When I'm mad at that person, what does love require of me? Before I hit send on that email, what does love require of me? Before I decide to fight a battle with somebody that has a different opinion than me, I need to ask the question, what does love require of me? See, here's what's interesting about the book of Jonah. The book of Jonah, God wants, excuse me, Jonah wants God to destroy the Ninevites. He's mad because God's sending him to show grace and mercy to the very people that are the problem with his nation. Just let that simmer a little bit. He is mad and hateful towards the people that he believes is ruining, ruining his nation. Come on, somebody. Don't even act like you're not reading between those lines right there. You see, because they are the bad people, and they're the ones that are responsible for destroying my nation. Now, let me give you a little background that I haven't given you so far. If you don't know this, Nineveh, God called them to go to Nineveh. Nineveh is the capital of Syria, and, um, and the Assyrians are the worst people of the time. Now, just to give you a little further background, Jonah's mad not just because they're bad people, but if you've read the book of 2 Kings, you will find that repeatedly the Assyrians invaded Israel and destroyed or tortured or punished the people of God. And now God wants Jonah to go toward them very people. Don't you think since we're still in Old Testament that God ought to just blow up that group of people? <laughs> Can you imagine how fast Jonah would have ran to Nineveh if, hey, I want you to take a tank and just go annihilate their city? Huh? That would have fit more with what we believe up to this point 
that God is in the Old Testament, or at least that Jonah did. After all, they're the bad people. They're the people that are ruining our nation. When I started outlining the book of Jonah, and I'm going to give you some points in a minute, but I hope you're getting points without me calling it a point. When I started out, I, I, want, I just want to share with you, when I read the book of Jonah and said, man, we, we need to deal with this, here's some of the things that I wrote down that I, I closed the book of Jonah and I just, on a legal pad, wrote down, here's what I think the book of Jonah is about, or here's some of the main topics. I'm just going to share some with you. The book of Jonah, uh, it shows us um, the heart of God for people beyond the Christian community. Hey, everybody, God loves not just those that are sitting in church on Sunday morning. He loves those that are very, very far away from Him. And in case you didn't realize, that's what we just sang about. That's what we were just singing about. It, it also shows that these are just my own little things. It's about race equality. He cares about a whole different race of people that have a different worldview than His group of people. It teaches us the struggle that there is to obey God. How many be honest today? Sometimes it's a struggle to obey God. Come on, three of you. The rest of you are not telling the truth on Sunday, all right? Whew. Okay, I better leave that alone. The idea that God's grace is for the worst people. Isn't it true? God's grace, that's what grace is. It's for those of us that can't help ourselves. It's an example of building bridges to people that are different than we are. we got to remember that. Ladies and gentlemen, that is a core value of Christianity and the teaching of Jesus. It's about building a bridge to people, not burning bridges. It's a guidebook for peacemakers and agents of reconciliation. Come on, that's what we ought to be, everybody. Peacema Blessed are the peacemakers, Jesus said. I, I think it's a few more things, and I won't go on forever, but it shows us how God is both just and gracious. Because he says they need to repent. And if they do, that's the justice. Then I'm going to give them mercy and grace. That's grace. Now, just as a reminder, just looking at those, this might be just more of a maintenance message today. But can I remind us as a church, not just those that are in the room, but those that are out at the beach, I'm sure, watching this message right now. <laughs> can I remind you that the R in radius, you know the R that we see everywhere? It's an open-ended circle, and that radius is an open circle. What that means is that everyone has the right to walk in this place and search for truth because if we close the circle to only those that believe like right. we believe, right. then how will their believing ever have the opportunity to expand or to be challenged by this grace that we say that we believe. Amen, everybody? Come on. It's an open circle. Now, sometimes people get nervous when I start preaching like this. And usually it's those, and I don't mean any disrespect, but usually those that get nervous in this kind of preaching are the people that grew up in church. Because what they think they hear me saying is that acceptance and open circle means anything goes. No, it doesn't mean anything goes. Acceptance does not necessarily equal agreement, everybody. See, I can accept you and not agree with you. Matter of fact, some of you hear me preach every Sunday, and you still accept me because you keep coming back, but you don't always agree. 
Matter of fact, I had a couple people last week say, I didn't agree with that message. And I said, it's okay. You're entitled to be wrong. All right, everybody? <laughs> now, here's something that's interesting. It starts pointing us toward the New Testament. I'm going to hit this with a little more depth as the series goes. But in the first half, remember, it's, it's written in two it's like a two-act play is the way it's written. It's written like a stage play. And chapters 1 and 2 is act 1. Chapters two and, or, uh, 3 and 4 is, uh, is act number four, uh, 2. And in the first half of the book, Jonah is, it, it points toward what we just sang about. Jonah is like the prodigal son that left his father, ran from the father, and partied and did life the way he wanted to, separate from. So the first part, the first act of Jonah Shows us a picture. Matter of fact, many scholars believe that when Jesus was preaching Luke 15 to the Pharisees, he was preaching from the ancient text of Jonah. Because Jonah, he shows us how he's running from the Father to get away from the calling of the Father and the responsibilities of being a son of the Father. And that's what we see in the first act of Jonah. In the second act of the book of Jonah, he's acting more like the son that stayed home. Both sons were equally as distant from the Father because in the second act of Jonah, Jonah comes back not with a, not with a repentant heart, but with only a legalistic uh, 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 obedience to do what God has called him to do. How I many know that's called religion, everybody? It, it, it's because I have to, not because I want to. And so the second act of Jonah, he's like the second son that stayed there. He did the right things. He preached. He prayed. But his heart still wasn't right. Because at the end of it, when the Ninevites repented, <laughs> Jonah is still mad. Just like the second son that wouldn't come into the party and celebrate that the first son had came home. I wonder sometimes if we don't get more first sons, if we don't get more of those crazy sons to come home because they're fearful of how the second sons or the sons that stayed home will act. I wonder if the unrighteous won't come into the house of God because of the way the righteous act towards them sometimes. Woo, all right. How you guys doing today? Well, let's dive into some points, all right? Let, let, let's just break this down. Some of it's going to be redundant, but remember last week we just wanted to peer behind the curtain, and so today I want to overlap some points we've already made. Let's break it down. We'll see if we can do five points today. Number one, let's talk real quick about the ruthless people. The ruthless people. First of all, in verse number one, it says that the word of the Lord came to Jonah. I already talked about that at length last week, but I just want to reprise one little part. The question isn't, is God still speaking today? The word of the Lord came to Jonah, but you know the word of the Lord has the ability to come to every one of us. And I hope that's why we come to church, because we want to hear the heart of God. The word of the Lord is coming to us. So the question is not, does God still speak today? The question is, what do we do with the things that he is speaking to us? We might be wanting God to speak to us, but God's waiting for us to obey the last thing that he told us. <laughs> Sorry, that slipped out. I didn't mean to say that. In verse number two, the whole story begins to unravel. Because up to this point, again, a point I made last week, but up to this point, the prophets, now that's a weird word for us, so let's substitute it just to contextualize it. The pastors or the preachers had only been speaking to the people of God. 
hey, straighten up here, don't do this, make sure you do this sacrifice on this day, oh yeah, make sure you show up on serve day, you know, those kind of things. Hey, up to this point in Israel's history, the prophets or the pastors, the preachers, were only speaking to the people of God. How many know it's really easy when we only speak to, fellowship with, those that believe like, look like, and act like, and have the same leaning, come on everybody, and the same bumper sticker on their car as everybody else. Up to this point, that's what Israel looked like. So Jonah's story is unprecedented because it's the first time. Now I want you to lean into this because there's a bigger point here than just the first time. It's the first time that God tells one of his preachers, let's use a different word, tells his church to go to a group of people that are outside of his group of people. It's the first time he says, I want you to leave the group, the healthy group that already know the truth, and I want you to go over here to these wild people that don't know the truth. It's the first time in uh, Israel's history that God is doing that, but it's a shadow of something. It's a shadow of something to come. Come on, does anybody know what I'm talking about? It's a shadow of what Jesus would later do. That he would see the needs of humanity and know that humanity could not get to God. So that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. And Jesus would strip himself of divinity, put on the robe of humanity, step out of heaven down to this world that was completely different than the world he came from. Because Jonah is a picture of a greater savior that is yet to come. Can I get a good amen on that? Now watch this. But that wasn't the end of the commercial. The end of the commercial was not just that Jesus would come to a people that were not like him. He came to his own, but his own received him not. I didn't come to just the Jews, but also the Gentiles, those terrible sinners. It wasn't a commercial just that Jesus would come. Watch this. You ready for this? Because this is going to be about us. It would also be a picture, not just Jonah going to the Ninevites is a picture of Jesus coming to a lost world, but it further plays out that that is exactly what the church is supposed to do in the communities that we live in. We're not Church was never supposed to be a holy huddle have under stained glass windows preaching to one another, but that the church would be set on a hill and be the salt and the light of the community that is desperately in need for a grace of Jesus Christ. Come on, everybody. It's what the church is supposed to be. And we got to make sure that we don't live in this little bubble with our own language and our own antics and our own Christianese. Uh, we've got to make sure we're doing things. Make sure we're doing things like giving air conditioners away. Make sure we're doing things like serve day. And it's easy to do those big events, but is it in our attitude with the people that we work with? Come on. And the people that believe different than we do. Now these people are extremely opposite than Jonah. Nineveh was the capital of Assyria, as I've already said. They were violent. They were the violent people of the time. Matter of fact, they would skin their enemies alive and take their skin and nail it on the city walls as a trophy to say, hey, look at us. Uh, they would cut their enemies' legs and arm off and leave them with one arm to mock them, shaking their hand. Um, they, they were just evil people. 
So let's contextualize this, because sometimes those ancient characters we don't really relate to that much, but imagine you're secure in your job, you're attending your church, you're living in your neighborhood, and God says, hey, I know life is good for you, and you love your church and your job, and you live in that subdivision that you've always wanted to live in. Hey, I, I, I want you to pack up. I want you to go to Iraq. I want you to live with ISIS or the Taliban, and uh, I just want you to share the love of my son there. Pick me. Pick me. I, I just want to... It kind of makes signing up on a dream team sound easy, doesn't it? Let's do dream team sign-ups today, Right? Come on. Oh, I don't know if I could greet at the door. Then let's go preach to ISIS, everybody, right? That's kind of what's going on here. See, God wanted him to minister to the very people that were very, watch this, different than him. Is it possible that's what God wants from the church today? To minister to those, not hate those, not preach at those, not judge those, but go to those with his command to love them that are completely different than us. Now watch what Jonah had to do in order to do it. You guys still with me? Watch this. He had to set aside his religion. Now when I say religion, he didn't set aside God, but his religious beliefs. Not God, not his relationship with God, but the way, the image of God that he had made up. Because how could God ever save that group of people when those people have attacked the people of God? He had to set aside his religious and political beliefs and make them secondary to loving people. Should I end right there? Should we just say amen and go home? Just drop the mic and get out of here. We cannot make our patriotism or our politics supersede people. Because God loves people on both sides. God so loved the Republicans. God so loved the Democrats. No, 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 no. Can we remember that God so loved the world? Watch this. He loved the donkeys and he loved the elephants. Come on, everybody, right? Yes, he did. And he loves the Christian and he loves the Muslim. Remember, hold on. Remember, you amen me a minute ago. Acceptance does not necessarily mean agreement. Okay, let's start, and here's a, here's a crazy thought. Why don't we start praying for our world leaders? Why don't we start praying for our politicians? I mean, it takes just as much energy to criticize them as it does to pray for them. And, and I'm guilty, and every time a criticism comes up, that ought to just be turned right into a prayer. And by the way, not to get all Christian-y on you, but the Bible tells us to pray for our leaders. Number two is a running prophet. We have a ruthless people. We have a running prophet. Now, in verse number three, Jonah ran from the Lord. He didn't just run. He ran geographically and he ran spiritually. Now, uh, let me just touch a little nugget on this. His assignment to go to Nineveh was 500 miles away. But he ran to Tarshish, which was 2,500 miles in the opposite direction. You say, big deal, Ken, what does that mean? Well, first of all, they didn't have a car. So how many know them puppies were hurting? How many know what I'm talking about, right? But here's the point I want to make. It's interesting that sometimes we will work so hard to cover up our disobedience. We will run so hard. We will run towards our excuses to avoid God's call. So let's just ask a question to the church folks today. If not us, then who? Who will mentor our kids? Who will mentor our junior hires? 
Who will launch our youth ministry? Who will be in a life group? Who will invest in relationship? Who will fund the vision? Who will fund the vision and help feed the hungry in our community? If not us, if not Jonah, if not the people of God that have received the grace of God, then who will share the grace if you have not received grace? Come on, everybody. Jonah was the complete opposite. He went the complete opposite direction. And I know it's easy for us to sit here and look at that ancient book and go, oh, I'd never do that if God spoke to me. But let me just ask you a question. What has God spoken to you about that you are still doing or you are not doing that he's asked you to not do or to do? And by the way, little side note, if you decide that you're going to run from God, there will always be a boat to take you there. There will always be overtime on the job. There will always be a schedule. There will always be a hobby. There will always be a hurt. There will always be a boat to take you there. Let's go back to the prodigal son in just a minute. Two ways we run from God. Let's tie it back into Luke 15. Two ways we run from God. One is like the younger son. He ran and lived wild. Many people today outside the church are running from God, and they're just living party hard, do what like. They're running from God. But let's talk about the second son that stayed home. We run from God not just by living wild. Watch this. Sometimes we run from God by living in our self-righteousness, by coming to church and making ourselves feel better. But we're not really in a relationship with God. Remember the second son? He stayed home. Father, I've done everything you've ever asked me. But he wouldn't come into the house and celebrate with somebody that was so different than him. Mm. We'll touch on it a little more in this series. Number three is a raging storm. So we got a ruthless people, we got a running prophet, we have a raging storm, and I'm just uh, a little bit on this. Jonah, Jonah kind of forgets that you can run, but you can't hide. <laughs> like if I decide I'm going to run from God, God was already where I'm going before I decided to run, right? That's called omnipresence. He's everywhere all the time, right? So let's look at it. Jonah chapter number one, verse number four. I wanted to look at it in the New American Standard Version here. However, the Lord... Watch what happens when Jonah ran. I want to connect a little dot right here. When he ran, then the Lord hurled, I love that word, he hurled a great wind on the sea, and there was a great storm on the sea so that the ship was about to break up. I want you to notice something about this story. God was the cause of the storm. God hurled the... Can you imagine how awesome you are when you can grab that storm in your hand and throw it and tell it where to go, right? <laughs> right? It reminds me. Here's what it reminds me. It reminds me that some storms are because of the people in my life. Uh-oh. Inner circle. Some storms are because of the places that I go in my life. Some storms are because uh, where I go or where I don't go. Some storms are just life, everybody. But watch this. But some storms, God throws at us. I know that probably messes with your theology. I just preached grace. The storm did not destroy Jonah. The storm was only there to wake Jonah up. That's grace. If it wasn't grace, he would have killed Jonah. Come on, everybody. Or the storm would kill you. The good news is if you're in a storm, maybe the storm is just to shake you up, wake you up. To do what God has called you to do. Yeah. All right? 
Uh, and, and, and so some storms are, are, God throws at us. Now, every act of disobedience has a storm attached to it. Yes, his grace is sufficient. Um, and that's what the whale was. If I was preaching about the whale, which it's not about the whale, but if I was preaching about the whale, that's what the whale represents. It represents grace. Because in the midst of the storm, God doesn't disown you. He brings a big old giant grace to swallow you up and give you another chance. Come on, everybody, right? The whale's name is grace. And, uh, but choices to de- deliberately disobey, they will bring storms into our lives, okay? Um, now, the Bible does not say that every storm is a result of sin, but it does teach us that every sin will bring a storm in our life. No, he doesn't punish us. He put our punishment on Jesus. But how many know there are consequences to the way we live? You can't live hateful and reap good fruit, everybody. There's just this thing called consequences. You, You cannot abuse our bodies and expect good health. We can't treat people bad and expect to have deep friendships in life. Watch this. We cannot put our own selfish interests in front of everyone else and have a functioning society. That's where America has turned. It's all about me. It's not about my neighbor. It's not about my literal neighbor or my figurative neighbor. It's not about anybody else I'm trying to. It's about me and I'll step on you for what's best for me. That is not what community is. And that's what God. Remember, and I'll teach on this next week, but who is my neighbor? Jonah is being forced with, well, who is my neighbor? They're not my neighbor, so I have a right to treat them bad. But Jesus said, everyone is our neighbor. <sighs> okay, let's move to point number four. No, point number four is a reluctant solution. This might be my favorite point in the whole thing, everybody. This point's going to be the best one ever. At least it spoke to me. Let's move on now through chapter one. Let's go all the way to verse number 12. And watch what Jonah says and see if it doesn't intrigue you. I'm almost there. So the storm is happening. The captain comes to Jonah and says, what's your problem? You're down here sleeping while the rest of us are trying to resolve the issue. Jonah recognizes that the storm is his fault. So watch what Jonah says. And and I just want to see. Wink at me if this intrigued you also. Jonah says, pick me up and throw me into the sea. Have anybody ever been out on a stormy, raging sea? And, and, And Jonah said, it will become calm. I know that it is my fault that this great storm has come upon you. Now, I would, if I was just preaching a onesie message, I would go off on how many storms are happening in community right now because of what the people of God are acting like. But I won't preach that because I'm too nice and kind and gentle, all right? Here's what I find interesting about this verse. I find it interesting that Jonah says, pick me up and throw me in. Did anybody catch it? Here's what I find interesting. (laughs) I I, I find it interesting that Jonah was asking somebody else to do what he could have done himself. You got two legs, Jonah. Jump yourself in. Put on some Van Halen and sing, I might as well jump. I mean, come on, everybody. (laughs) Jonah, you got some legs, but he wanted somebody else to do the heavy lifting 
I'm awake now, Pastor. You've preached to me, but I'm still going to sit back and let somebody else do the heavy lifting. I'm going to let somebody else pay the bill. I'm going to let somebody else join the team. I'm going to let somebody else help the hurting. I want somebody to carry me instead of me using the calling and the giftings that God has given me and the recognition of His grace. That's a good place for an amen, but you're probably too shocked right now, all right? <laughs> we got to quit laying back and being comfortable below deck, hoping someone else will do the heavy lifting. We have to. We have to, friends. Um, and so let me encourage you with this before we close. Throw yourself all in. I used to tell people this all the time. I should say it again. Throw yourself into Radius Church. Radius Church isn't perfect. You've probably figured that out by listening to me up here. But I double-dog dare you for one year, throw yourself all in. Come to the messages, apply the messages, take notes, read the notes, go to life group, rewind them, go through them, be involved in all the activities, come to serve day. Do Afford yourself to all the ministries and the journey of the church that this church is not just doing arbitrarily. And if in one year your life isn't further down the road and your life isn't more filled with God's grace and good, God's goodness, then I will sit with you and figure out a church that will help you. Matter of fact, I'll be so discouraged, I might leave with you. All right, everyone? Okay? Just what I'm saying is throw yourself in. Don't depend on everybody else. We are the body of Christ. We are the body of Christ. Throw yourself in. Next week, I'm going to bring this church an amazing announcement that I've been sitting on for a while. I can't wait to share with you. And I'm going to ask at the end of it, I'm going to ask you to throw yourself in. I'm going to tell you about we're really close to being able to own our own building. But it's only going to happen if the people of God come from below the deck and throw themselves in. Come on, somebody. Remember you clapped and remember you amen right there, all right? Matter of fact, uh, could you video the crowd right now? Because I'm going to play this scene next Sunday, everybody, all right? Hey, can I give you the last point? Check this out. Here's the last point. I'll be out of your way. Number five. And number five is I want to talk about the resolute sailor, all right? Come on. We have the ruthless people, the running prophet, the raging storm. Whew, I worked hard to come up with five R's, everybody. A reluctant solution, but watch this resolute sailor. Watch his resolution. It's the, it's the resolution I want from the people of God. So then, what did they do? Okay, Jonah, you won't do it. Then, verse number 15, then they took Jonah. Watch this. There, there's a point here. They took Jonah and threw him overboard. And the raging sea grew calm. When they decided to get rid of what wasn't important to them, then the storm stopped. I wonder how many storms are happening in our lives because we have a castaway that we know is below deck that your neighbor can't see, that your spouse can't see, that your church can't see, but hiding way down there in that dark, sleepy place of your heart, 
there is some rebellion running from God, trying to hide from God, and there are storms that are consistent. There's unforgiveness about a past relationship, and you wonder why there's always storms in your present relationship, because you haven't thrown the old unforgiveness overboard yet. Woo, I'm preaching now, everybody. Come on. I feel like I have an organ up here about now. Okay? Listen. Here's what I want to end with. I want to end with grab hold of that thing. You already know what it is. And get rid of it. Grab hold of that excuse and throw it overboard. Grab hold of our sleepiness. I wanted to say laziness. That sounds too harsh. And throw it overboard. Jump in. Oh, What do we need to grab hold of? Because watch this. Peace is waiting for those who will get rid of the disobedience that God has brought to your attention that you know has been residing down below the deck. I, I would end with saying this. This is going to sound contrary to my message. The, everyone ought to be in the large circle. It's an open circle. But not everybody ought to be in the inner circle. And there are some of us that are trying to keep people and places and things and habits in the inner part down below the deck that are causing the storm. And some of us today, right now, need to say, get off my boat. Some of us need, some of us are dating people that we know we should not be dating because it's not pleasing to God. It's time to get off my boat. <laughs> some of us are allowing people, sometimes under the name of Christianity, oh, I just want to love them. But they are causing storms in your life. Yes, they should be somewhere on the journey, but that doesn't mean that they need to be in the captain's seat of your boat. It's time some of us step up and say, it's time for that habit to get off my boat. It's time for that relationship to get off my boat. It's time for that issue to get off my boat. It's time for unforgiveness to get off my boat. It's time for the past hurt to get off my boat. It's time for the lies that I listen to to get off my boat. It's time for that bad self-image to get off my boat. It's time for doubt to get off my boat. Is anybody hearing what I'm saying? Get off my boat. Amen, everybody? All right. Well, i got to end right there. Would you stand with me, everybody? You guys get so excited. I just get so excited all the time.